All right. Wait, welcome and wake up, folks. Uh, special welcome to guests. So glad that you're here. Uh, and also special guests from South Texas, Hill Country. Welcome to you guys as well. Uh, a lot of new faces among us. I just want to say this. If you're looking for a church home, you found it. Um, if you're looking for a church home, it can be difficult. It can be a, a kind of a grueling process, uh, particularly around here in North Texas where there's so many and so many great ones. Uh, but if you would like uh, to learn about our church, I just want to make myself available to you. If you want to shoot me an email, catch me after church or whatever, if you want to set up coffee, would love to meet you, uh, tell you more about Centennial Church. And if this is not what you're looking for, maybe direct you, help you find a place that would be the best fit for you. So welcome and thanks for uh, being here with us. Also, just want to emphasize what Carol said. There's a place on that connection card for prayer requests. We'd love to pray with you too. And we'll have an opportunity uh, to pray for you later in the service if you'd like that as well. But love to, to receive your prayer requests. One thing we often do is we throw out a prayer request or we pray and then we forget to come back and say, Thank you, Jesus, right? Uh, maybe I'm the only one guilty of that. Uh, you know, all of December, I brought to our attention as, as a church family that we had a need ending the, the fiscal year. And our goal in December, our need was that we needed to uh, collect $100,000 in those four or five weeks to finish uh, the year even. And we prayed. I remember we did that publicly. I asked some of you to pray in one of those services and uh, through the end of December, we collected not $100,000, but $127,000. Praise the Lord, huh? Amen. So in a minute, I mean, I always do this. I always ask God for something, not always, but I often uh, forget to say thank you. That's one of the things we're tr we want to teach our kids, right? You say please, and then you say thank you. And I want us publicly, together, corporately, to thank God here in a few minutes. So I'm going to pray too, but I'm going to ask a few of you to be brave, to be thankful, to be grateful, and just right where you're sitting, just say a sentence or two prayer and thank God for his amazing uh, provision. The other thing that I think is really exciting about this is not that we collected $100,000 plus, but our uh, bookkeeper came into my office about a week ago and through tears said, Ross, I want you to hear, and she's the one of very few people that sees the numbers and who does what and all that stuff. And she says, I want you to hear this. She said, as I watched this through the month of December, it moved me to tears because I saw that people that had never given before gave. And I saw that people, I could tell that people were reaching in deep into their pockets. People that typically gave $200 or $300 a month gave $500. And people that gave usually give one time a month gave multiple times in the month. And I think that is even greater <clears throat> than the dollar amount. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because I said in the beginning of December, that would be the greater goal. If we would all pitch in, we would all get there. And uh, man, I'm just so grateful uh, for you. I'm so grateful for what God did and, uh, in helping us do that and start 2018 strong. So uh, can we do that? Can I ask some of you just to be brave, to be bold, to be grateful, and just a sentence or two prayer, and then I will close us in just a minute, and we're going to look into God's word, okay? So pray with me. God, we, we just love you. We thank you so much for your, your provision above and beyond what we ask, God. We are just so grateful. And Lord, I ask your forgiveness for not trusting you as boldly, as courageously as I should. And Lord, I just pray that you would grow my faith, that you would grow our faith 
as we lean into you this year, Lord. Uh, we just give you so much praise for your abundant blessing, not just uh, through this uh, uh, giving season, but for all you've given and all you've done for us and the way that you've saved us through Jesus. Lord, we pray also uh, for other uh, churches and gospel preaching ministries throughout uh, this community. We pray for our partners around the world. We pray for those who worship this morning in Haiti and our missionaries there and on college campuses around uh, the country here, we pray for students at the University of Arkansas, students in Nashville, Lord, all the people that we partner with, Lord, we pray that you would bless them uh, financially and spiritually and uh, multiply our ministries, God, so that your name would be honored, your name would be known, and uh, you would draw people closer and closer to you and more people closer to you, God. Thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for your grace. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray, amen. And thank you also to Stephanie for bringing me a bottle of water up here while we were praying. Excuse me. I don't know, um, <clears throat> I don't know what you get anxious about, but for me, sometimes it's money, okay? And particularly as the preacher, you come to the end of the year like, oh, we've got this deficit and God provides. And what was all the angst about? Um, Late in December, I got a little pop-up on my phone that uh, was kind of, you know, at the end of 2017, you always see these things on, on TV, they're year in review. What happened in 2017? And the one that popped up on my phone said something like this. It showed a uh, North Korean guy and Trump, and it said, the year in anxiety. Now, I had already planned this sermon series that we're going to jump into today, but it described 2017 as the year in anxiety. Between threats of nuclear war and a perfect storm of natural disasters, 2017 has seen a lot of heart-pounding push notifications and Xanax prescriptions. You know, and, and, and that's, that's funny, and there's this kind of global stuff that we worry about, but there's also times, and man, it is no laughing matter because it's not just somewhere out there, but it's, it's right in here, in my own heart, right, in my anxious thoughts. Uh, several months ago, as I said, I was, uh, I, this, the idea for this series came as I was listening to the radio, and, and the guy on the radio was interviewing a pastor and author named Max Lucado, and Max Lucado was the inspiration for kind of spending some time on this. Max has a new book out called Anxious for Nothing, and as I was driving around in my car, I just the title grabbed me, hopefully like it's grabbed you, Anxious for Nothing, and I thought, Wow. You know, and Max didn't pull that out of the air. That's not his creative idea. That actually comes from the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul, that we're going to spend these next uh, three weeks, all of January, looking at Paul's uh, words here in Philippians chapter 4. Because I would say, I don't know about you, but I do know about you. <laughs> I know about many of you, and I talk to you, and I pray for you, and I know that anxiety is not just something that happens in global politics or at an economic level or a political level. It happens at a personal level. And I wish that I could come to you in this series and say, and I've mastered this, and I've, I've got a lot of things to teach you, but guess what? I am not coming to you in this series as a master because this series is as much for me as it is for you because this is something that plagues me. Anxiety, worry. And I know it does for many of you as well. Lucado says this, Lucado says, if worry were an Olympic event, we'd win the gold. 
Why is it that us in this day, in this age, in this part of the country where we're pretty doggone well off have so much anxiety associated with so much good that we have? I'm sure that your neighborhood is probably pretty similar to mine, but uh, the day after Christmas, I walked out and Christmas came on Monday this year, right? So as I walked outside on Tuesday, I noticed something that I had in common with my neighbors as trash day was postponed for a day, is that all the trash cans, the recycle and the green trash, were all overflowing with paper and wrappers and stuffing and, and uh, you know, the popcorn stuff and all that because of the excess that we just experienced. And, and why is it that we can have all this, these fun toys, all this uh, material wealth, and still in our hearts, we're kind of overflowing with trash and paper called anxiety and worry. It's the leftover of the holiday season. So whether it's layoffs expected at your company, or whether you're caring for ailing parents, or plans for the wedding are in full swing. Maybe it's the anxiety that comes with the, the growing demands at work or you're awaiting test results. Maybe it's money is tight. The kids are not doing well in school. You're trying to discern what life looks like following divorce. Your kids seem to need and take every minute of your time and every ounce of your energy. You're anxious if your grades will be good enough to get into the college that you want. You're worried about your wandering child. Man, that's real stuff. And that's stuff that's happening in this room. That's stuff that's happening in the hearts right here. Just this week as you know, we're preparing for this message series, even on our own staff this morning, Scott and Shannon are, are, are gone in West Texas to be with Shannon's mom who's been battling cancer for quite a while and things don't look well. It's not easy to just throw on a Bible verse and say, hey, Shannon, be anxious about nothing. That can be almost insulting. How, what, what does Paul mean here? How, how, what kind of anxiety is he talking about? Then on Wednesday, I believe it was, our children's director, Jay, Jay rushed home because the apartment above them, the pipes burst, and their apartment was being flooded with water. I went over there about an hour later and was stepping in water an inch and a half high as nearly everything in their apartment was affected by this trial. And Jay looked at me and said, you're preaching on anxiety this Sunday, right? <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, you know, this, this is it. So let me ask you, uh, how's your anxiometer doing today? Okay, I invented that word, anxiometer. You like it? Where are you on the scale of, of peace and anxiety? Here's some questions you might ask yourself. Are you laughing less than you once did? Do you see problems in every promise? Would those who know you best describe you as increasingly negative and critical? Do, do you assume something bad is going to happen? Do you magnify the negative and dismiss the positive? Well, maybe it's not that bad, but there's still this kind of tightening of the stomach and kind of uh, pain in the neck and 
constant worry and turning over things in your mind. And Paul's words from the first century could not be more relevant to us in 2018 than they were for them, for him and others at that time. Now, I think there's, uh, there's two errors that we can make as we talk about this, the two errors. One error is just to beat people up with this verse. Hey, be anxious about nothing. They kind of use it as a Bible club. You know, I'm, I'm not one to want to go into a hospital room or when someone's apartment has flooded and just kind of throw out, hey, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called. Sometimes uh, you need to give people some space before they're ready to hear these truths. But nevertheless, we could beat people up with it. But the other error would be just to completely ignore this, that it is a problem. And it's not, this anxious life is not the way God created us to live. It's not what he wants for us because he is a sovereign, good father and he is working things out. So there are are these commands, There there are these imperatives from the Apostle Paul and Jesus' own words himself as he talks about anxiety and worry in Matthew chapter 6. So we need to have both a compassion for people as well as conviction that God wants us to live differently. God wants our trust level to increase. And if if you or someone you lived with had an anger problem, had a short fuse, had a temper, you'd say, man, we need to bring that to the Lord. That's a a thing that God wants to, to work in us about, right? You got a bad potty mouth, you know, that's not something you would ignore. God wants lordship over our mouths, God wants lordship over our emotions and our temper, and God wants lordship as well over our emotions and over our anxiety. So we need both compassion for people as well as conviction that God really is in control, that we really can trust him when we go to him in prayer. So for these four weeks in January, we are going to look for four weeks at just six verses in Philippians. And I want to challenge one of the goals I have for us in this four-week series is for all of us to memorize Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. So here's what I want us to do. Go ahead and stand with me, okay? Stand with me. We're going to read the whole passage this morning, but we're going to start by reading just verse 6, which I hope that you will, with me, uh, commit to memory here in January, okay? So let's start with this, and then we'll read the entire passage, and then we'll pray, okay? So here we go. Philippians 4, 6, say it along with me. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Philippians 4, 6. And now for the entire context, I want us to read Philippians 4, 4 through 9, okay? And again, go ahead and read this with me as well, and then I'll pray for our time. Here we go. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, 
whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Pray with me. Father God, we come to you uh, with anxious hearts, many of us, um, anxious for what faces us tomorrow, anxious for what happened yesterday, anxious for uh, big things, big things at work, struggles with our spouse, worry for our children, thoughts about money, and Father, our prayer in this series uh, is that you would bring to, uh, to us a proper conviction of our lack of faith in you, that you would increase our faith and you would free us of the trap and the burden of worry and anxiety. God, we want to trust you, Lord. I pray as the man in Mark chapter 9 prayed, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Would you increase our faith? Would you increase my faith, God? Would you help us to think rightly? Would you help us to practice habits that are true? Would you help us to look to you and not to the mountain, not to the circumstance in front of us? God, help us. God, convict us. God, change us. By your spirit, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So for today, what we are going to look at this morning is one phrase, four words. One phrase, four words, and it comes there in verse six, and it comes from the ES, or excuse me, the New American Standard uh, translation where it says, be anxious for nothing. We typically around here quote the ESV translation, but the New American Standard is from where we get our title, be anxious for nothing, or the ESV says, do not be anxious about anything. And I encourage you to read, to memorize the ESV version so we can say it all together uh, in the coming weeks, okay? But one phrase, four words, pretty simple, pretty clear, but pretty darn difficult to apply, right? And look at the all-encompassing nature of it. Do not be anxious about anything. Be anxious for nothing. He doesn't say, be anxious less. He doesn't say, be anxious only on some days or be anxious only for the big decisions, the big things. Be anxious only in season of, seasons of trial and affliction. He says, be anxious for nothing, for no thing. How can we possibly do that? And what is he saying here? The word that he uses is a word that's elsewhere translated concern. Sometimes it's translated worry. But it has the idea here in Philippians chapter 4 of over-worry. There is a time to be fearful. Uh, God has, has, has given us this response called fear that can be healthy. But what the Apostle Paul is talking about here and what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 6 is an over-concern. It's over-worry. It's taking responsibility. It's taking sovereignty for things that are not within our control. 
for things that we can't manage the outcome for. Be anxious about nothing. And you see, if you look on, that he contrasts anxiety here with peace. Uh, If anxiety is kind of this restlessness, it's also this, this feeling of being out of control, then peace is this idea of security, right? And oftentimes when we're experiencing anxiety, it's because we feel like things are out of control. But guess what? Control is an illusion. We weren't in control to begin with. The control that we think we have is is often an illusion. There are a lot of things that we may have responsibility for in life, but we actually have few, if any, things that we're actually in control of. Do you hear me on that? There may be a lot of things that we have responsibility for, but really few things that we have control over. And a lot of our anxiety is, is trying to control things that ultimately we can't control. You're a parent. You have a responsibility for your children. You've got to provide for them. You are supposed to teach them, but you ultimately cannot control the outcome of their life, right? You have a responsibility for them, but you cannot control the outcome. You can't control them. And some of you are sitting there thinking, yeah, but I darn well try. And we can, and we do. And you may think, hey, that's kind of splitting hairs. That's just kind of semantics, responsibility for, or control over. But I would argue that, that in our mind, these things meld together, and we get all out of sorts because we forget what's, what our responsibility is versus what is within our control. Sometimes we're trying to control things that we ultimately just can't control, and we just need to admit it. Lord, I don't have this. I can't control this. Help me to trust you with it. Help me to allow other people to make the decisions and and the choices that they're going to make. And don't get, and help me not to get all wound up in a ball of knots thinking about what they're going to do. Sometimes our uh, anxiety is brought on simply by a future focus. Like we're worried about things that aren't even reality. I mean, they're, they're not, they haven't even happened. They're possibilities. But they're not even reality. And that's, I think, the point of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. If you look with me uh, at the end, of, or the end of chapter 6 of Matthew, yes, verse 34. I think we have this on the screen, the end of that passage. Jesus says, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Sometimes we're anxious because we're trying to control things that aren't within our control. Sometimes we're anxious because we're worried about things that haven't even happened. Sometimes anxiety is uh, based upon the future. Sometimes it's based upon today. And sometimes it's just flat out irrational anxiety, irrational worry. We have someone in our home that has some irrational worry. And this person in my home is well fed. He sleeps a lot. Uh, He's perfectly taken care of. You know I'm talking about my dog, right? He has... He has no work responsibilities. He gets great sleep. He gets great food. And yet he is constantly, if there's a change in patterns or schedule or we're gone for an extended amount of time, he is anxious and it's completely irrational. Like, I've got you, Gray. We're taking care of you. 
And I wonder sometimes if God doesn't look down on us like we look down on our dogs and say, dude, chill out. I got this. I got this. There's some other factors, some environmental factors that uh, play into our anxiety. And I've just labeled them like this. Speed, weight, and breadth. Speed, weight, and breadth. Speed is just the culture we live in. The the pace is just too fast. We have to be at work by 8.30, but one kid has to be dropped off at school at 8 a.m., and another can't be dropped off until after 8 a.m., and, and, and we expect those messages to be returned, and people expect you to get back to them on that email like 30 seconds after it comes, right? And if the Amazon Prime doesn't arrive tomorrow, then I'm getting upset because it, it hasn't gotten here within two days. And so speed can play in to our anxiety. Sometimes it's not just the fast speed. Sometimes we're anxious because things are too slow, right? You're driving down the street and someone ahead is ahead of you and they're just going like 35, 40, and all of a sudden anxiety wells up in you, not because of speed, but because of slowness. So the speed of our culture contributes to our anxiety, but also there's this issue of weight. How much can we bear? How much can we carry the weight of caring for aging parents is heavy just by itself, not to mention the added weight of work and concern for your own adult kids as you're taking care of your parents. One test is manageable, but two tests and a paper, that's too much weight to bear. It's too heavy. And some of us are carrying a lot of weight. And anxiety creeps in, but there's the third factor, and that's breadth. Breadth is the multitasking mindset of our day. We got to be doing three things at once. We're doing the proverbial spinning of plates and juggling of balls, and what mom can possibly care for all the kids, work full time, be the homeroom mom, serve at church, and prepare healthy and hot meals for dinner? Who can do that? It's too many balls to juggle. It's too many plates to spin. And for some of us, it's just the breadth of responsibility that we have. And I'd like you to do some soul searching as you think about your exometer today. And that is, where do I really get stressed out? Is it the pace? Is it the weight? Or is it the breadth? Is it too many things or is it just the combined weight of multiple things? Are you really good at one thing, but we, uh, you, can, you can handle speed if you've just got to focus on like two things, but you can't handle speed if the breadth gets wider. What is it of these three factors that seems to plague you the most? And sometimes anxiety is simply a dashboard warning light that screams, hey, you're human and you're only one human. And so the speed needs to slow down and the weight needs to be shifted or the penchant for control needs to be let go of. So how do we do it? Well, the, uh, the passage, moving on in the passage, gives us some hints about how to do this. And we'll talk more about this in the weeks to come. We'll get there for... Uh, for help and diagnosis in weeks to come. But it talks about uh, rejoicing in the Lord. It talks about uh, taking our anxiety and instead of worrying about everything, to pray 
about everything. It talks about us knowing that the Lord is near, practicing the presence of God to help us know that he's with us, that he's for us. It talks about practicing the patterns that we see in Paul, the things that you've heard, the things that you've seen, the things that you've watched me do. Practice these things so there are some helps that the scriptures can offer to us and just general wisdom can offer to us. Not to mention some meds sometime. But how do, we, how do we deal with this? What I want you to do this morning is I want you to read your examiner, okay? I just want you to take some time, even this morning, hopefully you got one of these cards as you walked in uh, to take notes with. And if you're not a note taker, uh, I want you to take it out now and I want you to grab a pen. Hopefully there's a pen in the chair back in front of you. And I want you to take just a moment here just a moment to write down on a scale of one to 10, where's your anxiometer at? And, and if 10 is just pegging the top, between one and 10, where are you? 10 is, I mean, you're, you're about ready for a panic attack. The one is, you're laid out, cool as, you know, nearly unconscious. Where are you on the anxiometer meter? The second thing I want you to do right now, and if you don't have a pen, get your phone out, make, I want you to literally write this down, okay? So get out your pen, your paper, get out your phone, but be doing what I'm asking you to do. And now I want you to list the sources of your anxiety. Right now, do this. Some of you, I'm gonna be so bold as to ask you in your community group to share the sources of your anxiety with some people that care about you and some people that are pray along with you for those anxieties, okay? So take a minute right now. I'm gonna give you 30 seconds and just list the sources of anxiety in your life, okay? Keep your eyes on your own paper. I see some of that. What's got you anxious? What are you tied up in knots about? more seconds. Some of you are like, a couple more minutes. Here's what I want you to do at the bottom of that piece of paper, and I want you to hang on to it for the month, okay? Put it in your Bible, put it in your car, put it in uh, some something you take to work, whatever, keep it with you. You may want to you might not want to post that publicly, I understand, okay? But keep that with you for January. Here's what I want you to write at the bottom <clears throat> of that paper. I want you to write, Lord, do a work in me. Do a work in these areas. Lord, do a work in me. Do a work in these areas. And you might want to jot down Mark 9.24, the prayer that I often pray. I mentioned earlier, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. 
And let that be our prayer, our cry out to God this month. Lord, do a work in me. Lord, work in these areas, I believe. Help my unbelief. There's another action step I'm gonna offer, ask of you this morning if you are so bold. But as we partake of communion here at the end of the service, we're also gonna have some of our prayer team and some of our elders in the back to pray with you. Some of you need to get it off your chest. You need the prayers, not only your own prayers, but the prayers of others. So we're gonna have some prayer stations in the back. And we're gonna do this all month, actually. And those prayer folks will have a candle Just go up to someone in the back with one of those candles and say, man, I need prayer. And if you can, be be specific about what you need prayer for. And man, we would love to pray with you and help shoulder and carry some of the burden, some of the anxiety that you have right now. Okay? Turn with me to Jesus' words, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. We looked at the very last last verse earlier. Follow along with me as Jesus talks about this same thing. Notice the help he gives us. Notice the focus of their worry. And uh, I'll make some comments and then we'll close with communion, okay? Verse 25, Jesus speaks to us about this as well. And he says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what, will, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now let's just stop right there for a second. What is it that they're worried about according to him? Oh, just the basics, food, clothing, what you wear, you know. That my guess is that none of us in this room are worried about if we're going to have clothes to wear or if we're going to be fed. Even here, they're worried about the necessities, the basics of life. I mean, pretty basic stuff here. And Jesus still tells them, don't worry about the basics. So what is he saying to us about the things that aren't even the basics? Do not be anxious about anything. He goes on and he says, here's how much I care for you. Look, verse 28. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? What good is it doing you? And verse 28 And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider, uh, example number two, consider not only the birds, but consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Verse 31, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. There's something to seek, but it's not stuff, it's not the things of this world, it's seek 
the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. In verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What's the comfort here from Jesus? The comfort is he looks at even the natural world and he says, I'm taking care of them. How much more valuable are you? I've got this. I've got you. So much more valuable than flowers, so much more valuable than than the lilies of the field. I'm going to take care of you. You don't have to worry. And not only do I care for you, but you're in my kingdom. You're in my house. It's like for my my children or even that that silly dog. Hey, you're under my roof. I'm going to take care of you. And no, I can't provide perfectly as our father provides perfectly. The illustration breaks down. But the point is, dog, kids, honey, I've got this. You're in my house. And and, and Jesus is saying, I'm going to take care of you. More than I take care of the stuff that gets cared for every season, in and out season, the grass and the flowers and all that stuff. Paul's point in Philippians chapter 1, if you go back and read Philippians 1, which comes before Philippians 4, is he said, you know what? As he writes this command, do not be anxious, he's, he's in jail. He's, he's sitting in a wet, cold, damp, dreary chain locked to a Roman guard. He's a prisoner. And yet he's still able to write, be anxious for nothing. And he says in chapter one of Philippians, the reason he can do that is because God is, he knows God is still working out his plan. He's sovereign. Even in the midst of this chaos. Jesus is saying, man, I care. Man, I'm in control. Man, I got this. Quit worrying. You're mine and I'm going to take care of you. How do we know that? The ultimate expression, the ultimate way we know that Jesus is going to care for us is because he shed his own blood to show us so. And the argument of the New Testament, Romans chapter 8, Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him give us freely all things? The reminder of communion that we celebrate this morning is a reminder that God cares so much, he bled for you. And if he bled for you, he will never abandon you. As one great theologian has said, you can trust a God who bleeds for you. And as we come this morning and take the bread and the cup, we come to be reminded of Jesus' care for us, that he did not bleed for the grass, he did not bleed for the animals, he did not bleed for the lilies of the field, but he said, I bled to bring you into my family so that you would have the assurance that one day there will be no anxiety ever again because you're in my family. So I want to invite the servers to come forward. I'll invite the worship team to come back up. And this morning, as we take communion, I want you, as you take that bread and as you dip it in that cup, I want you to remember the great care that Jesus has for you.
No matter what is going on right now, no matter what you face tomorrow, what you know for sure is that Jesus loved you so much, he bled. This is a picture of his extravagant care and his promise. Will you close your eyes with me and hear the words of Jesus as he instituted this celebration with his disciples? Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Pray with me. God, again, we come to you and we confess our worry. We confess our anxiety. We acknowledge the sources that they come from. And we ask God that in this moment and in this month, you would do a work in our heart to trust you in greater depths, to put away our fear, to put away our worry to really trust you as we know you are trustworthy. God, for those uh, here this morning, I pray that if some among us need prayer this morning, that you would encourage them, you would give them the boldness to come to the back and receive ministry, to be prayed for, to share their burdens with others, and that might be part of the healing process that you do in our hearts. God, we thank you that you are in control and nothing gets past you. That you never overlook us. That you look down and say, I got this, kids. Holy Spirit, transform us. Work strong in our hearts to make us more like Jesus who trusted unto death. And Jesus, we thank you for coming and demonstrating your great care and love for us to the extent of your blood. It's that promise that we remember now as we celebrate your death. Amen. Come and celebrate and come to the back and pray if you wish.